Let's get to our message today. It comes from Galatians 2.20, one verse, which reads, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you loved us so much that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus, so that we could know you, so that we could be reconciled to you, so that we can experience and feel how much how loved we truly are. And we thank you that we were so ignorant that we needed this physical example of Jesus Christ to look at, to remember, so that we could be reminded of your love for us and how much we're truly loved and treasured by you. So much that you would even send your only son to die for us. We thank you, God, for that. We pray that you would be the center of our minds and our hearts as we worship you through your word. May you be glorified and honored, especially today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, I want to welcome you all once again to our Easter service. This was the day 2,000 years ago that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. And it's a really important day because if it wasn't for this day, we wouldn't have a faith to actually believe in. You know, when Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, it proved that he was God. You know, Jesus Christ, he went around, he said a lot of things, he performed a lot of miracles, and a lot of people had a lot of doubts. But the moment someone resurrects himself from the dead, you know, that proves that he was God. And not only does it prove that he was God, but it proved that every promise that he ever uttered in Scripture is actually true. Our forgiveness, you know, our salvation, our resurrected life, and our eternal life to come. It's all true because of what happened today, 2,000 years ago. The resurrection proves all that. That's why if there was no resurrection, we wouldn't have a faith to celebrate. And so that's why we have Easter Sunday. That's why, you know, we're here. And so, you know, if you're here, if you're brand new here today, thank you all for coming along. Thank you for worshiping with us. You know, usually on these Sundays, I like to just have it literally joyful and awesome and light and just celebratory. But for some reason this week, you know, it's something I really feel like God is saying, hey, Eddie, I want you to challenge the church. And so today's message will be slightly challenging. I hope it's very encouraging for you, especially if you're a believer. I hope it really challenges you and say, oh, hold up. In light of the resurrection, maybe I do need to step up my faith game here. But maybe you're coming back to church or maybe you're new to church. If that's the case, I hope that today's message really clarifies what Christ is all about and what it really means to be a Christian. And so I hope that happens today. So let's get into our message today. You know, this whole week, I was plagued with this one picture that I couldn't get out of my mind so much that, you know, I, I kept on rewriting this sermon because I couldn't get this one picture out of my mind. And that, and that picture that I couldn't get out of my mind is how the resurrection changed the church and how it needs to continually change the church today. You know, uh, seven days ago on Palm Sunday in Jerusalem, back 2,000 years ago, you know, Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and all his disciples were following him. And these disciples, they were following him. And, you know, the thing is, um, they thought that they were following a winner. You know, they thought they were backing a winner here. And his whole life proved that Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was, like, so courageous. You know, he was fearless. He would like, you know, walk up to like these religious leaders and he would just like rebuke them and put them down. And there was nothing that they could say. And it was awesome. You know, but who does that? You know, Jesus Christ was like powerful. Not only did he perform miracles, you know, but he raised people from the dead. Disciples had never seen that. So they knew that this guy must be, must be from God. 
you know? But not only that, but he was really loving. Not only was he powerful and fearless, but he was also loving. You know, he would like, his heart would like break for like the outcasts and the rejects and the misfits of society. He would go around healing people who had, who had leprosy, you know, who, who were just lame. And so the disciples, they looked at this guy and they were just convinced, wow, this guy must be from God. And so they followed him for three and a half years. And so naturally when Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem, they're thinking, oh, wow, we're backing a winner here. You know, Jesus Christ is riding into Jerusalem triumphantly because this is the man that's going to put Israel back on the map. You know, he's going to, and the way he's going to do it is he's, he's going to militarily overthrow the Roman Empire. And when he becomes the ruler of the world, we, his trusty disciples, will sit at his right hand and will cash in in all the benefits of being the guy that was loyal to him for three and a half years. Isn't that amazing? That's exactly what they thought. And so, you know, that's not a bad lottery ticket. If you're the disciples, the possibility of being the right-hand man of the ruler of the world, it's not bad. But then all of a sudden, five days later, Good Friday comes. And the guy that they thought was going to be the new ruler of the world, all of a sudden is getting tortured and crucified by the people that he was supposed to overthrow. And they must have been shocked, you know? And the whole foundation of their hope of their future, just fell out from under their feet. So not only were they horrified, but they must have been absolutely confused as well. And so what does the, the text say? What does scripture say that they did on Good Friday? These people, they ran. They ran and they hid, which makes absolutely total sense, right? Because if they're going to crucify that leader, they'll probably crucify the followers, as well. So they ran and they hid. So that's where they were over the weekend. I don't know what you guys did this weekend, but that's what they were doing. They, were, they ran and they hid over the weekend. But then all of a sudden, come Sunday, they hear that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And not only did he rise from the dead, which is shocking enough, but, they, but the message came to them saying, oh, Jesus wants to talk to you guys. <laughs> you know? And if you heard that message and you were a disciple, how would you feel? Would you be scared? I'd be a little bit scared. Dude, I ran. You know? Would you be a little bit ashamed? Would you be a little bit embarrassed? I bet they were probably a little bit ashamed, a little bit embarrassed. But at the heart of it all, too, I bet they're a little bit curious. They're like, no, he didn't rise from the dead. I mean, it's one thing for him to resurrect other people. How, how can you resurrect yourself? I kind of want to see that. So there's a little bit of fear, but maybe it's also mixed with a little bit of curiosity as well. And so they finally meet Jesus. And they're absolutely shocked. And they kind of still don't believe that it's him. And so Jesus Christ has to go through all these motions to prove that he's actually resurrected. He says, okay, go get me some food. And he eats with them just to prove that he's human. You know, and then one of his disciples is like, hey, I still don't believe it until you show me the nail scars in your hands. And so he shows them the holes in his hands to prove that he was the guy that was crucified a few days before. It was actually Jesus. So here we go. That's all clear. All those stories were given to us in Scripture. Jesus resurrects, hangs out with his disciples. And for the next few days, he hangs out with his disciples, and then he ascends into heaven. That's what we know. And the thing is, I'm, I'm really curious. If, you know, people always ask that question, if you can go back in time, 
to any point, you know, to any point in, in time, where would you want to go back to? I'd want to go here. I want to know exactly what Jesus talked about with his disciples for those few days before he ascended into heaven. Because I tell you what, from the moment he was resurrected to the moment he ascended, all of a sudden the lives of these disciples completely changed. The church completely changed. It it changed people from these timid people who were scared and running into a fearless, unstoppable force. So my question is, what did he talk about that changed these people so radically? And that's the heart of our message today. Okay? So the resurrection, so because what's obvious is the resurrection of Jesus Christ called these people to rise up in a way that they never could have before and to live for Jesus in a way that they never did before. And the reason why I want to share that with you today is because I truly believe that is what the church is supposed to look like today. And my hope is that as we go through this short story together, that it'll really cause your heart to want to rise up and be the church that we were always called to be because of our Savior that resurrected today. So the question I have is this. What made them change their lives so radically? And, you know, after thinking about so many things, I realized this particular verse, Galatians 2.20, really gives us the answer. It actually gives us two reasons why their, their, their lives changed so radically to live this kind of a life. And here's the first reason. The first reason is because of forgiveness. Galatians 2.20. Let's look at this verse again. It says, Paul says, it's the Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, in this verse, the Apostle Paul says that he has been crucified with Christ and he no longer lives, right? What does all this mean? Well, the fact that he used that word crucified is very special because the crucifixion was simply what? What happened on Good Friday? The crucifixion was the place where our sins were paid for by Jesus Christ. So crucifixion equals sins, right? So what does that mean? What Paul is saying is this. He, I finally understand why Jesus had to die. The reason why Jesus had to die is because, because of our sins. And here we go. It's, it's, it's layered in two ways. This is what he's saying here. Yes, our sins caused Jesus to go to the cross and be crucified, but his crucifixion was also an invitation to all of us to die to our sins as well. Isn't that what he's saying? I've been cru- I have been crucified with Christ, and therefore I no longer live. Was, was he crucified with Christ? He wasn't crucified. But what he was saying was, Jesus was crucified for my sins, but that crucifixion was also an invitation for me to crucify my sins on the cross as well, to turn away from my sinfulness. What is that saying? It's saying that forgiveness and holiness goes hands in hand, hand in hand. Holiness, a life outside of sin, a life of holiness is the expected result of someone who's forgiven. And that's exactly what Paul is declaring here, right? If you know that you've been forgiven, you are now called to consider yourself dead to sin. Have you ever considered yourself dead to sin, right? And it says to the point where Paul says, we no longer live, which means that our old lives of sin are completely gone. The life that we are now called to live is a life that is alive to Christ alone. Dead to sin, but alive to Christ. This is one of the reasons why the disciples lived so radically for Jesus and was used so powerfully 
by Jesus. And I really believe if Christians today, if Christians today want to be used just as powerfully or as powerfully as well, then we need to make a fundamental shift in how we choose to view ourselves, which I think some of us really need to do as Christians and as the church today. A few years ago, uh, our family went on this trip around the world. Okay, we brought one of these around the world tickets. It's the greatest vacation of our lives. Okay, uh, the first step, the first stop was Hong Kong. We went to Hong Kong, which is like the mecca of Chinese food to the known world. Right, there's, there's any, it's the best of the best. Right, everything is there. And my wife turns to me and she says, "Hey, what do you want to eat tonight for dinner?" And I say, "Hmm, I'd really like to know what a Big Mac tastes like in Hong Kong." And she's like, are you serious? We came all the way to Hong Kong, and you want to eat McDonald's? And I said, yes. She goes, okay. And that's why my wife is awesome, because she said okay to McDonald's in Hong Kong. Our next stop was Copenhagen, which is like this Scandinavian, like, you know, it's like the doorway to Scandinavian food paradise. That's what it is, okay? It's absolutely amazing. And my wife turns to me in Copenhagen. She's like, what do you want to eat for dinner? And I said, hmm. Why don't we try a Big Mac? <laughs> you know, I want to try McDonald's. She goes, are you serious? Are you crazy? I said, I must be, because that's what I want. Our next stop was in Amsterdam. And when I said the exact same answer to the exact same question, that's when my wife had enough. And she said something like this to me. She said, do you realize that we spent all this money on plane tickets? Do you realize that we spent all this money on hotel rooms to go visit all of these places, like all across the world? Right? Do you, you know the reason why we did that was so that we can immerse ourselves in the culture of this country to eat the food of those countries and to try something brand new. What's the point of going to the Netherlands if you're not going to immerse yourself in the Dutch culture and eat Dutch food? Why? Oh God, why? Do you continually want to eat food that you could have had back in Australia? And when she said that. It awakened me to my stupidity. And it is, right? And it's true. All of us would agree. Why would you do that? Especially after you spent all this money. But a lot of times we're like that in our faith sometimes, aren't we? We're, like, we're, we're so much like that in our faith. You know, even though we are now citizens of the kingdom, we still live as if this earthly life was everything. You know, even though we've been given this life of eternal significance and eternal purpose, we still live to gather treasures in this world. Even though we know that what happened upon the cross and the resurrection freed us from all of its sin and all of its powers, yet we still choose to enjoy the evil. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? We do. I like watching those TV shows. I like hurting people. You know, whatever it is, that's what we do. And that, if I can say so like this, it's pretty stupid, don't you think? But then here's, here's, here's what's awesome about God. Let me tell you what's awesome about God. God knows that we're like that. And that's why God gives us a lot of verses that give us clear instruction on how we can combat that stupidity. In verses like this, it says that if we are now in Christ, we now need to consider ourselves dead to sin. You know what I'm saying? Dead to sin. Did you ever consider yourself dead to sin? 
That's what we need to be. You know, a lot of times Christians, what we do is, Christians, a lot of times, we live the same life that we would have lived in the world after salvation. We just add Jesus to it. But what this verse is saying is, no, you can't do that. you got to die to your old self. That's what this verse says. It says you got to die to your old self and then do what? you got to live alive to Christ. What does that mean? It means to completely immerse yourself in who Christ is and what he's all about. It means to completely adopt the culture and the character of his kingdom and all that entails, and now to live a life not for our pleasure, but for what pleases him. This is the life that Christ died and resurrected for, that he's called all of us to live. And these disciples, they understood that so powerfully, they adopted that so like comprehensively that they were used so powerfully by God to change and affect the world. It's that simple shift, isn't it, in their mindset. I'm not just going to add Christ to my life. I'm going to die to my old life. The old sinful ways, the sinful mentality, the sinful philosophy. And I'm now going to live alive to Christ. All that he is, kingdom values, all that entails. And everything in my life in a way that pleases him, no matter what that costs. Because from the death and resurrection of Christ, it proved how, how high a price he paid for me. That's it. And because these disciples understood that powerfully, they went on to be used so radically for God. And I just kind of believe that if we as the church truly begin to live this life that sold out the holiness as well, then we will as well be used powerfully to reach our generation for Christ. The second reason for this radical change is because of love. Okay, love. Love radically changed these people. You know, many years ago when I was a youth pastor, I had this one youth student who was like one of the shyest students I ever had. I saw probably till this day, maybe he was the shyest person to ever walk into any one of my churches. And so that's who he was. But uh, after one youth camp, he radically changed. You know, he like joined the welcoming ministry. He joined the band. And I swear, you know, maybe till this day, he's probably that one guy that I just saw the most radical change in. You know, and he was just making such differences in people's lives. That was who he is. And so me, you know, as a youth pastor, I, I went up to him and said, hey, what happened to you? <laughs> you know, and he just simply said, Jesus loves me. And being the great youth pastor I am, I said, yeah, so what? You know, I hear that all the time. And this is what he said. He said, well, it made me not look at myself anymore. That might be the, one of the best lines I ever heard as a pastor. It made me not look at myself anymore. You know, when that happens, you know when that happens in your life? When you know that you're comprehensively loved. When you're so loved, you don't even look at yourself anymore because you just look at the person who's in love with you, right? I, do, I conduct a lot of weddings as a pastor. You know, I've done many. And I love it whenever I ask a bride or groom. It's always one of the first questions I ask. You know, why? Why are you marrying him? Or, you know, why are you marrying her? And I love it when the bride or groom answers in this way. And they, a lot of times they do half the time. Because she makes me feel like who I truly want to be. 
That's powerful, isn't it? That's love. She makes me feel like who I truly want to be. That's the power of love right there. You know, at the end of this verse, the Apostle Paul says that he's convinced that Jesus loves him that radically. That's what it says, right? He loves him so much that he gave himself to Paul. The whole reason for the crucifixion and resurrection in Paul's eyes was God's love for him, right? He was so convinced that he was loved by God that it caused Paul to live absolutely radically for God. And the thing is, Paul knew that every sinner in the world, especially the worst of them, was the object and the target of that love. And that's a huge statement because if you know who Paul was, you know, if I can say it like this, if there's one person that maybe shouldn't receive the love of God, it's probably Paul, right? Uh, you, if that's possible. But that's what I'm talking about because Paul was, you know, he had persecuted Christians his whole life. That wasn't his living, that was his hobby. You know, Paul hated Christians. Paul single-handedly wanted to take down Christ and wanted to take down the whole Christian movement. And therefore, he was willing to kill Christians, persecute Christians, do anything that he could to stop this whole thing. Paul was the enemy of enemies. And so if there was anyone who was undeserving of love, Paul was probably at the top of that list. So what caused this once persecutor of Christians to now become, you know, to now lead the charge for Christ? And the answer is love. Once again, the moment he met Jesus, he knew that he was comprehensively, unconditionally loved. He knew that every sin that he had ever committed was forgiven undeservedly, but yet he was loved, forgiven, embraced, welcomed, and then commissioned and given this new purpose in life. And because of that, he couldn't believe it that he was loved so radically, so he gave himself radically to the only person he knew. That was true love. And so he led the charge. And by leading the charge, what do I mean? Being tortured repeatedly. By leading the charge, what do I mean? By being jailed repeatedly. By leading the charge of Christianity, what do I mean? By being like abandoned and on islands for like years, like stranded on islands for like years. This is what I mean. Yet his resolve never changed. Why? Because he knew he was loved. Love has that kind of staying power to keep us radically committed to the person who loves us. He knew that he was loved and love was all that he needed. Why? Because love is what stokes the fire of a life that burns for Jesus. You know, the Christian life is not easy. It's actually very, very hard. You know, to follow Christ means to deny yourself. It means to welcome hardship, to welcome persecution. Jesus Christ says, if you want to follow me, get ready for persecution. That's like a horrific statement, but that's what he says. He says, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself. You need to carry a cross, which means you got to suffer for the rest of your life. That's a terrible invitation, but that's exactly the way Christ invites us to follow him. You have to carry other people's burdens. Do you know how hard that is? It's hard. You know, you got to die to yourself so that other people can live and actually find Jesus through you. Do you know how hard that is? That's hard. There's nothing easy about being a Christian if you're doing it right. And objectively, I don't think it's a lifestyle that anyone would choose unless there's a greater reason to choose it. And there is. It's the love of God. 
right? And I don't think it's a, li- it's a lifestyle that one would continually choose to live unless you are continually engaging in that love which overcomes all challenges. That makes it not only make sense, but makes it worth it. I'll be very honest with you. You know, I've been a pastor for over 25 years. You should never become a pastor. You know, don't, don't ever consider it. Even if God calls you, question him, okay? That's like the one thing you should question. Uh, I don't like being a pastor. Okay, I don't. It's the black and white. I don't like it. I'm not sure if I even love being a Christian for the religious, the religious Christianity that we talk about. I don't like it. But what I do know is that I am absolutely comprehensively and unconditionally loved. And, you know, when I encounter things like uh, challenges, when I encounter things like disappointments, when I encounter like times where I have to sacrifice my life for people I may not care about, all that stuff, and it's true, okay, that's, that's my heart. You know, whenever I encounter all these difficulties being a Christian, and I don't want to do any of those things, I just simply weigh it against the love that I've been, that I am currently being loved by. And his love always tips the scales. And that's it. You know? And therefore, you know, I'll choose to go anywhere. I'll choose to try to be everything and anything I need to be. And I'll choose, I'll try, I'll try to choose and give up whatever I need to give up and change whatever I need to change simply because he loves me. It's not because it's better or right but simply because I know that I'm loved. And that means so much more to me than anything else. Those people in this room who also know how much you are loved by Christ, let us never, ever give up doing that. Why? Galatians 6.9. Galatians 6.9 says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. What is this verse saying? This verse guarantees that if we never give up serving Christ, if we never stop looking at his love and making those choices in light of his love and resurrection, then we will be used to reap a harvest in this lifetime and in this world. We will be used to impact our generation. We and the church will actually be used to make a difference eternally for his glory if we never give up. The resurrection, Jesus Christ and his resurrection. This is the life that he's called us to and has given us the opportunity to live out by resurrecting from the dead. And if the church embraces it, I truly believe that we'll be a church, we'll be Christians who will be used powerfully to reach our generation for the glory of God. You know, these disciples, they became an unstoppable force, not because they were talented or gifted or not because they were educated well in any way. They were unstoppable because they knew that they were forgiven. They were unstoppable because they knew they were loved. And those are powerful The resurrection of Christ caused them to rise up in a way that changed the trajectory of their lives forever. And I truly believe 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ is calling us in the church in exactly the same way. My hope as we go into prayer is that you will count yourselves among the true followers of Christ. People 
who now see themselves dead to sin and alive to all that Christ is. But more importantly, people who are absolutely convinced that they are loved unconditionally, comprehensively by the Almighty God, proven 2,000 years ago, not only through the cross, but through the resurrection. And I pray that that love causes you to rise up and live the life that he died and resurrected to give us. Let's pray. If you're a believer here today, I hope you're I hope you're encouraged and you're challenged. I think a lot of times believers we haven't like surrendered our old life. We just kind of added added Jesus to it. Can I invite you to surrender your old life and let's live it all for God. Let's die to our old life and live completely alive to Christ. If you're new here today, once again, welcome. This is what Christianity is about. It's a little hardcore, isn't it? But it should be. Because our God died and resurrected. Because this is what life is all about. And so maybe that made sense to you today. I hope it did. If it did, can I invite you to surrender your life to Jesus? To now, now that you understand what the Christian life looks like, and what Christ died and resurrected to give us. If that's the life that you want, Scripture says all you need to do is believe in what Jesus did and accomplished this Easter weekend. He died on the cross to forgive you for your sins and to make you fully righteous and holy. And he resurrected to prove every promise that he makes in the Bible is absolutely true. And so therefore we can trust it for the rest of our lives. And if, you want, if that's what you want to do, please put your faith in Jesus Christ. Surrender yourself to Jesus so that you can now live for him. If that's what you'd like to do, please put your faith in Jesus. Just talk to him. Give your heart to him. If you need help with that, please talk to somebody. You can talk to me. You can talk to any of our leaders. But come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you after service. And I'd love to help you on your spiritual journey. Why don't we just at this time take a minute or two to just pray and talk to God.
thank you so much for sending your son Jesus Christ not only to die on the cross but to resurrect three days later so that we might actually have faith have salvation have forgiveness have eternal life Father I know today's the day that we're supposed to celebrate and it is but Father maybe the best way we can celebrate is by living the life that you died and resurrected for and it wasn't like this half-hearted Christianity or this 50% Christianity The disciples prove to us that it's a Christianity that not only requires our whole lives, but deserves our whole lives. So God, continually speak to us. Challenge us. Move us. Move our hearts one step closer to you. That we might be a church that's used powerfully. We just don't want to go to church for the rest of our lives. We want to be the church that gives you glory for the rest of eternity. And so God, Speak to us. Continually move upon our hearts. Continually show us and reveal to us how the things of this world don't quite measure up. And convince us that only the love of God, your perfect love, is what we were created for. Move us to you. We thank you so much for your love that always tips the scales. Help us to always be men and women They're constantly tipped for you. In Jesus' name we pray.